Thanks to HoneyBook for supporting the AppleBits XL podcast. If you run your own business, you're used to doing it all, and trust me, I know what that is all about, but if you're struggling to get through your to-do list, HoneyBook can help. So go to HoneyBook.com slash AppleBits with a Z for 50% off your first year. All right, let's get to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the AppleBits XL BTZ, keeping it nice and slow and easy. Brian Tong here in the house for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Welcome to the show for those of you who are new here. This is all the latest and greatest that's inside that whole Apple bubble that we like to play with. But sometimes we have great interviews and guests. And this is one of those episodes, Renee Ritchie in the house to be part of the show. We talk about the new MacBook Pro, his thoughts. He has one of them, so he gives us his insights. We also kind of talked about the evolution of Apple as well. Just a really great chance to finally meet and talk to one of those people who have been part of this community and have some great insight and opinions that I respect. So before we get to that, remember, you all can be a part of the show. Maybe hear something that you like in this episode. Make sure to call us, record a voice memo, and then send it away at applebitsshow.com at gmail.com. That's Apple Bits with a Z. Send us your name, where you're from, and then get right to your comments and thoughts. We love it. And yes, you're correct. So you want to throw a bad apple at me, you could throw a bad apple at me. So let's just get right into it. Here we go. All right, everybody. I told you I had another special, special guest. First time on the show. Man, really one of the authorities of the Apple world for as long as I can remember. Renee Ritchie in the house. What's up, Renee? Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, man, this is exciting. Um, This is the first time, honestly, that we have ever really, truly talked, um, met yeah. each other. But I know because we're kind of playing that same world of Apple coverage. Uh, well, I mean, I've known about you for a while. Maybe maybe I don't know how long you've known about me. I'm not expecting to be like, oh, I've known you forever. No, but, you know, I just really no, appreciate since you. CNET, since you had lost oh. your show on CNET, I've been yeah. watching. Thank you so much. Um, So, yeah, this is, this is really cool to have you here. And, Renee, I mean, there are people that may not necessarily be familiar with what you do and what you are doing. So I'd love you to kind of give a chance to get people a little background on you and where they can find a lot of your really killer work. Sure. So, uh, oh, back in 2008, I started working on a website called, uh, it wasn't called that back then, but now it's called iMore. And I started doing the iMore podcast. And then over the years, I started doing MacBreak Weekly with Leo Laporte on Twit. And about 18 months ago, maybe 20 months ago now, I launched a YouTube channel, uh, very much you know, inspired and in the vein of what you've been doing for, for so many years, where I just try to do the same sort of stuff that I've been doing before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But YouTube just seemed like such a, a vibrant audience. I wanted to get involved in that, too. Yeah, you know what? I was curious because I didn't know this. Is, you, is your YouTube channel actually part of the iMore family or is that actually your thing? No, it's part. So I work for Mobile Nations was the company it got bought out by Future LLC last mm-hmm. year. So anything I do in tech is de facto theirs. No, that I mean, but you know what? What's great is you are feeding that beast. Like I feel like you're putting out almost, I, I mean, a video every day and a half or so. I mean, it's you're pumping out a lot of great content. I try for about four weeks. I don't always make it, but I try for it. Yeah, that that's great. So also, you know, what I really appreciate about you, Renee, and for people that don't know, is that you have evolved as media has evolved you know, started in print, kind of transitioned to internet writing, then podcasting and video. So I think it's a testament to um, how passionate you are about this field, because I feel like we don't work in media um, 
you know, to quote unquote blow up and make big money. We work in it because we love covering this stuff. It's kind of like yeah. innate to our DNA. So I've always felt that from your coverage that you've kind of had that same love and passion. You know, Apple's been a big part of me growing up from a creative standpoint and using its tools. And I know it was kind of a big part of you as well. Yeah. I mean, for both of us, you don't work this hard for this long unless you love it. Like you yeah. just can't. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, Renee, I had you on the show because you got access to the MacBook Pro early. And yes, it's now available in stores. I mean, I have my custom to build coming shortly, but I really wanted to dig deep with you because obviously it's a tool that we look at and touch every day. Um, Just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on the new 16-inch MacBook Pro and maybe to get things started, when you first had in your hands, what was the first thing that kind of stood out to you? So... I mean, it looks so much like the previous MacBook Pro. It's not a new design by any stretch. The The screen fills more of the chassis, and the chassis is ever so slightly bigger. But just looking at it, you can't really see a difference, and that includes the keyboard. So I think what stood out to me was how nothing really stood out to me. Because <laughs> uh, there, there's no notch, you know what I mean? There's no huge controversial design. There's no, like, three-camera bump. On the back, there's nothing really controversial about it. They just took everything that all of us had been complaining about for the last three, four years and fixed almost all of it. Did you did you think when you saw it, was it almost like, I don't want to say it was not impressive, but it felt like, oh, this is the same MacBook Pro that I've always used. I know it's different, but it looks right out of the gates when I open it up, just like the one I had. So they had a table set up so we could try typing on last year's 2015 and this year's 2016 just to compare them. And the only way I could tell the difference was to look for that inverted T arrow set up. Because when I first walked in, I'm like, why aren't people typing on half of these? Oh, they're no one's typing on the old ones anymore. (laughs) And that was the biggest thing, you know, for years when they first came out with a new keyboard and people didn't like me, you know, sometimes they don't like when... I kind of, I don't know if I dig in, but I think I keep it real as someone who's been an Apple fan from the, from the quote unquote prime SJ days. And now they've evolved. And there's certain things that stick out to me when it's just not as good. You know, we feel it. We know it because we've used them for almost a majority of our lives. The keyboard was the biggest thing. I mean, we've been clamoring for it. And some people started to finally catch on. Oh, this keyboard maybe isn't as good as it was, but because it's been what about maybe a four or five year run, most people are like used to the idea of like, oh, the butterfly keyboard is okay. And I would kind of say, no, no, the keyboard before <laughs> was so much better, but now people are starting to experience it. How, how does it actually feel for you? Does it really, I mean, does it feel better? Does it bring you back to what their keyboards were like before? Is it more like a iMac keyboard? What does it kind of feel like for you? Yeah. So I have to, I have to like, like full disclosure, I like the feel of the butterfly keyboards. I have a lot of injuries in my hands from like mm. years of grappling and judo and stuff. And I, I don't, I, I just can't use, like I find them painful to use big clickety clackety keyboards. So I actually really liked the butterfly keyboard. But for me, it was, uh, I would talk to other people like you and they didn't like it. And nobody, you know, I might prefer one to the other, but nobody didn't like the old keyboards. And when you're the only one manufacturer, like if Microsoft screws up, makes a, a bad Surface keyboard or a Surface keyboard that's divisive, it's fine. You go buy a Lenovo, a Dell, an HP. If mm-hmm. Apple is the only one, they're the only one making Mac laptops. So if they make a keyboard, eat like 20%, 50%, 70% of people don't like, there is no alternative. So even without issues or reliability problems or you know anything else, to me, that's just untenable. You can't keep that keyboard if a significant portion of your audience doesn't like it. Well, that, that's a great point that I, you know, when you think about comparing them to other manufacturers, just the, your insight of, yeah, you can go buy another laptop and you're fine. But here, this is the one that you're stuck with. When you sat down with Apple, 
Was that one of their big focuses on how they're listening to or how did they kind of position it to you when they're saying we went back to the keyboard? Did they dwell on the fact that it wasn't up to their up to snuff or that a lot of the users were saying bring it back? How did they kind of position that for you? So I think like there there always were some segment of the people who didn't like the butterfly keyboard who were willing to accept it on the 12 inch MacBook because it was such a portable machine. And that was just a compromise that they felt was okay. It wasn't their favorite. But if you wanted a tiny, tiny computer, that was a compromise that you could live with. But on the MacBook Pro, there was no acceptable reason to compromise on the keyboard like that. And I think that's sort of the vibe that Apple gave off. It's that with pros, you know, they want a pro typing experience. I would argue that this keyboard should just be everywhere. And I'm mm-hmm. sort of like low key worried that it, because they're not like backing completely away from the butterfly that they intend to like if they release a new 12 inch arm MacBook next year, it might still come with that butterfly keyboard because, you know, they they seem to really believe in that keyboard. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, you know, I think you have to salt the earth, you know, and bury that thing by now. But <laughs> they, they, they would not completely disavow it. They just believe that for their pro customer, they needed to provide something like the iMac Pro typing experience. So, you know, you said that you you personally, because of your your hands and whatnot, you prefer the butterfly. So where do you stand with this new keyboard personally? So personally for me, and the big caveat is, you know, until we use it for months and years, like yeah. everyone's going to have unanswered questions on reliability because like you just can't back away from that. But if if it has no reliability, no reliability, oh, sorry, I should say, if it has no exceptional reliability issues, because every keyboard will fail with a low incident rate. If it has no high incident rate of failure, this to me is the best of both worlds because what I what I don't like about when I go back to the old keyboards is they're kind of loosey-goosey um, and they you, you have to kind of push on them a little bit, like a little kind of mushiness. And these have the feel, like they, they sort of, they're flat, they're stable, they have a lot of punch to them, but they have a little bit of that clack from the scissor keyboards. And I'm hoping they're the best of both worlds because mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of fun for me to type on this. And if they got everything else fixed, I think this is really good for them to be going forward. Oh, yeah. That, that right. The best of the both worlds is kind of like yeah. right in the middle is that sweet spot. OK, the thing that I'm curious about specifically um, from a production standpoint, the speakers and the microphone, because everything I read about them, it sounds amazing. I know that they have them in stores. I haven't had a chance to go and even check it out because I'm just waiting for my custom to build to come. Yep. Can you talk about if you've really felt a noticeable difference in the speakers and then we'll talk about the mic afterwards. Yeah. The speakers was one of the few things I wasn't expecting. Like if you'd asked me before I saw them, what I thought they were going to change, I would have gone down a list and had most of the stuff, but the speakers to me sort of came out of nowhere. And you know, I know, you know, people still like to dunk on the home pod and fairly so, but when they were building the home pod, they also built this massive audio lab and they use it for AirPods, for iPhone headpieces, for everything. And this is one of the products of that. And it just, it feels like they have a, a HomePod sort of smushed into this MacBook. It's not quite the same as a HomePod because a HomePod is designed to work no matter where you are in the room. And this is designed to work specifically for, you know, you being in front of the, of the, of the screen and keyboard. But it sounds like it's got both Dolby Atmos support and the, the virtualized system Apple uses for non-Dolby Atmos content. But it puts sound in three dimensions around you. And you're listening to like Star Wars or something and you just you hear everything and you you cannot believe that it comes from a MacBook. And to me, that's sort of that investment in the audio lab really paying off. Yeah, you know, I think we I talked about it a few episodes back of just how it's it's kind of under the radar, but it's now starting to get more and more attention. Apple is becoming is elevating their status in the audio world. The HomePod for what you know, however people criticize it and for its limited use and it is getting more and more features 
that thing sounds amazing. And for yeah. any of those kind of home all-in-one speakers that you can move around the living room, it still sounds the best to me uh, yeah. compared to what Sonos is doing with their move, what um, the Amazon Studio is doing. And then you have what they've done, obviously, with the AirPods Pro and tuning the sound for that. You've yeah. seen what they've done with the new Beats Pro over the ear, which isn't that heavy, muddy bass. And they're starting to, as now you throw in the MacBook Pro, they're building this library of like, you can start taking us seriously as an audio company now. Yeah, a friend of mine used to keep saying, "Why do I have? Why, why can't the iTunes company make good speakers?" <laughs> and it was it was a totally fair uh, criticism. And now, the same way they're upping their photography game, they're upping their computational audio game. And I'm really interested to see sort of one year, two years, how far they can take it. Yeah, that, that's really that's really cool to hear. Also, the microphone. You know, they're touting forty yeah. percent less hiss noise reduction. I'm really curious because I'm definitely going to try and do an entire podcast on it just to and not tell people when I when I do it, but just see if they go, oh, the audio sound a little different or maybe they're like, oh, that sounded pretty good. Maybe they like the tone of it better. What do you think about the microphone? How much have you been able to really play with that? So I usually like right now I'm using uh, a Hale PR40 going into a USB uh, two pre, uh, sorry, USB pre two amp mm -hmm. and that uh, interface, and that's going into a to a MacBook. So I'm used to using that kind of audio for my videos. I have a Sennheiser, you know, big microphone that goes straight in. These are all XLR microphones, so I'm used to that sort of sound. But I deliberately tried to use the MacBook uh, microphone for most of my video, and you can definitely hear the difference. It does not sound <laughs> like a top shelf XLR mic. But it does sound like a USB microphone. And that, to me, was really impressive because it, they didn't use uh, um, noise cancellation because you can hear it. It always makes it sound like a share song. You know, it's sort of like, can you believe in love, sort of the compression on both sides. <laughs> and what they went for here was just a high signal-to-noise ratio. And the goal was, like, in a pinch, if everything else goes wrong, you can still record audio. Mm -hmm. And they had, you know, Jonathan Morrison show this off, but they had a couple people singing into it. And it still sound, it didn't sound perfect, but it sounded way better than a laptop has ever had a right to sound before. Yeah, is there any other things that really stuck out to you about the MacBook Pro overall um, from your use so far? I know it's only been, what, about a week or so or a little less than a week? Yeah, I, so, uh, I mean, the, the performance has always been an issue. I mean, because Intel has not had happy days for the last four or five years. Mm -hmm. And Apple's been working around them, you know, with the GPU, with the T2 chip. They offload a lot of things like HEVC and code decode is done on the T2 chip, the two, sorry, the T2 chip now. But they've, they've changed the thermals. And I've just been doing a lot of tests in, in Final Cut and benchmarks. A lot of people run benchmark apps, but those apps really don't understand how modern uh, sort of... Uh, what's the right word for it? Apple creates sort of this layer over all the different silicon and then rapidly assigns tasks back and forth. And most of the, most of the benchmarks have no idea what's hitting an accelerator unit, what's hitting the GPU, what's hitting the CPU. But when you run real world tests, like you bounce from Logic Pro or you watch the rendering and Final Cut, to me, it was even better than that. I'm used to destroying plugins in Final Cut and before they render, it just shreds frame rate. But this, I was throwing like motion VFX plugins on top of it and it, it stuttered a couple times, but it was just playing through the timeline. Dang. And it's not like it, it's not like a game stopper, a show stopper when it does that, but it's just so annoying that, that it, I don't have to hear it anymore. It's just a relief on my life. Yeah, that I from a day-to-day -day usage, when I look at what it sounds like it's possible, you know, I'm excited to get my hands on it just because I think it'll actually make my life more efficient from a production standpoint. And yeah. really, you know, sometimes you get these generations where it's oh, 40%, 50% gains, you don't really feel that. But when you start getting yeah. up to, quote unquote, 
two times gains, 80 to 90% yeah. gains. You actually really start seeing that change in the MacBook Pro. Uh, any other things that stuck out to you? Yeah, the eight terabyte as an option, I was not expecting. Like I was Jeez. hoping they go to sixty-four gigabytes for the RAM. I was hoping, and they already had four terabytes. So when they said eight terabytes, and you just <laughs> saw, like some of the video people, they're they carry the stuff with them all the time, and they're doing like music videos for celebrities, like for for pop stars, and they just need to have, uh, and or you know they're doing mixes and music, and they just need to have every instrument available. Mm-hmm. Their faces just lit up, mm-hmm. and it just sounded like the best thing in the world. Yeah, that, that's going to be really cool. For you, creatively um, and content-wise, what do you think is going to be the feature that matters the most for you? It's going to be the bigger storage size because I haven't really yet. I've, I've tried a couple of raw light videos and it just the amount of storage, I had to do everything basically offline, like just right off the CFast card. And that's not ideal to me because mm-hmm. you know cards, they sometimes detach or the, the media doesn't, doesn't come through. But being able to do that to keep just a good amount of stuff on the machine and then to be able to run through it as fast as this machine can to me that's like just workflow changing yeah i i have a two terabyte storage i don't i don't have the cheddar where i can drop eight terabytes but did you did you go now (laughs) right yeah so so i don't yeah that's why i'm like i'm like i'm i leaned at four because i'm like okay that that's still doable but eight terabytes although impressive right that's when it's you're at that super super high level i think it's amazing that your client is paying for it (laughs) exactly exactly uh what about any things that might have stuck out that you didn't like i'm kind of one of those people in between where i do feel like the macbook pro uh touchpad is a little too big i know they didn't change the size of it i don't know are there any things that maybe they didn't tweak that you kind of wish they did or things that maybe still could be better for you specifically the way you use it yeah, so there's two things that come to mind. One is they stuck with, um, they didn't go to Wi-Fi 6 like mm, they did yeah. on the iPhone. And I, I don't really think anybody needs 5G right now. And I don't think anybody should buy a 5G phone because the modems in these phones now are not the modems that you're going to want when 5G becomes real. But Wi-Fi 6 is standard. Like that, that's, that's what's going to happen. And people keep their MacBooks. I mean, you know, not people like, like us, but like normal level-headed people <laughs> yeah. keep them for three, four, five years. Yep. And if they get a, a, a Wi-Fi 6 modem, that's not going to help them. And the webcam is still 720p, which yep. to me feels like an affront to the machine. And for the same reasons, it's great to have those mics. Like you or I could be uh, like at an event or we could be somewhere and some huge story could drop and the ability to sit down in front of the thing and record a 4K video with decent sound and decent picture would be great. But now I can get like decent sound and still a really bad picture. And that just to me does not solve the problem. Yeah, in my earlier video, I absolutely am completely agree with you with the Wi-Fi 6, just because... You know, it's not even that it's not out there yet. Yes, I get it. Apple tends to sometimes adopt stands a little later. But by the time this laptop has to grow, even let's say two years, Wi-Fi 6 is going to be out there. And the whole advantage of it, not only just having more bandwidth, but just being able to manage all these crazy Wi-Fi devices that we have constantly firing and going on, that, that's got... It's not so... It won't make you say, oh, I'll never buy this laptop because really it's more of a pro laptop. People are going to create great content and that's who they're really really targeting but the fact that it doesn't have wi-fi 6 on it was kind of like huh and then obviously i know the displays are thin but we still don't even have a 1080p facetime camera on it like that i don't i don't i don't know what's behind that and maybe they feel like hey people use their iphones and i'll tell you right now when i talk to my nieces and nephews on facetime and i'm on my laptop I deliberately put my phone against my screen and then I just angle it and I use my phone for FaceTime because I know that 
FaceTime on the MacBook Pro is so bad. Yeah. And, but the thing is like, for me, someone will just say, well, you can just like commenters, I, I bless them, but they'll just say, well, use your <laughs> iPhone. But I could do that for the, for the microphones too. And they put mm-hmm. good microphones in. So to me, that's like use your iPhone. Isn't the answer. The answer is they should all be great. I should be able to use anyone yeah. that I want. You're, you're being so kind about commenters. You're like, bless them. <laughs> <laughs> bless those commenters. Yeah. Um, anything else uh, that you wanted to mention about the MacBook pro overall before we keep on chugging through? Yeah, I mean, I guess the last thing is I'm really curious to see how they bring this design to the 13 slash 14 inch next year and what they do uh, when they update the MacBook Air. Because, again, I would just I would love to see the good decisions in this laptop sort of spread across the entire MacBook lineup. Thanks again to HoneyBook for sponsoring this show. Now, when you started your business, did you dream about all those admin tasks like drafting proposals and contracts and tracking down payments? HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. HoneyBook makes it simple to run your business even better with professional templates, e-signatures, and built-in automation that keeps everything on track and makes you look good. They can even consolidate services you might already use like QuickBooks, Google Suite, Excel, and MailChimp. It is the number one choice for client and business management for freelancers and business owners. So save time and do more of what you love with HoneyBook. Now for myself, I got set up with HoneyBook and I like the project section. It has this flow that makes it easy to organize the different steps for landing some of the deals and proposals that I get because you can't just remember all this stuff while I'm doing content and handling my billing. So this flow is nice. It's straightforward and I'm looking forward to really using it more and more. So right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit HoneyBook.com slash AppleBits. That's 50% off your first year. Go to HoneyBook.com slash AppleBits with a Z. All right, let's keep on rolling with Renee. Yeah, the other thing when you talk about new MacBooks and MacBook Pros is, you know, we saw what the Surface uh, Pro X did and how they're like, hey, this is an ARM processor and on their end, a lot of their apps aren't compatible. So it yeah. became this product that hardware and visually looks amazing. Before it got into the hands of reviewers, to me, I was like, this is the next evolution of the Surface Pro. Absolutely. It looks awesome. It feels great. Yes. But it has that hiccup with compatibility, at least on the Windows side, for ARM processors. Now, on Apple, it, it's a little different story, but they would still have to get that compatibility to work across the board if they're going to pop an ARM processor in a laptop like this. Uh, do, you, do you think we really might see one? That we're just playing around here. That we really might see one next year? Or is it something that... Because sometimes they like to take their time to make sure it's absolutely working. I don't want to see a ARM processor laptop if maybe half of the apps aren't even going to be able to work very well. Yeah, well, I mean, they had the Intel uh, Macs in people's closets in yeah. Infinite Loop for, for years. And they've had different variations of this in people's closets for like five, six years. And some of them are iOS clamshells, which is one idea. And I think those would still be good in education. And others are, I mean, they ported OS 10 to the Mac years ago, um, sorry, to ARM years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a question of, is what they're doing now setting that up, like things like Swift UI, which wasn't planned years ago, but sort of came up recently and makes so much sense in, a, in an ARM Mac world. Are they going to wait for that sort of stuff to mature so that when they do put it out, I feel like that's more the Apple way. They're not going to come up on stage and say, we have our Macs. There's not a ton of software yet. It'll be sort of like what Steve Jobs did with Intel, where he says, it's been living living a double life. Here you go. 
And every single Apple app just works perfectly, including like Safari, the web browser. Uh, and they've got a bunch of partners up there on stage showing off like the new Photoshop for ARM and things like that. I think they're going to want to, and then they'll announce that it's going to take like a year long to transition. They'll just give, they'll give more of a constant messaging as to when they do it. So if that's this year, I think maybe next year makes more sense, but uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. And also I think from what we've seen, at least on the service pro design, Intel might Intel for one of those few times as everyone's talking about, oh, Intel's going away. And, you know, they might feel a little better about themselves because the actual raw performance and again, benchmarks are benchmarks show that the Intel processors could crank through a whole lot better, a lot more powerful, a lot more efficient. And so at least for now, they could be like holding off a little like, okay, you guys can go arm. Look what happened with the Service Pro X. Like, you know, still you still want to deal with us. But eventually that tide will change. It may not be you know, immediately, but at least that perception, ARM is going to have to really be able to, from just a horsepower standpoint, at least close the gap. Yeah, and Apple's done some smart stuff too, where they've basically abstracted away the silicon. Like if you're hitting a modern Mac, again, you're not like you, a, a casual user, even like, you know, people who write a lot of articles on, and do a lot of YouTube, for, for, frankly, they can't tell when it's hitting the CPU, the GPU, or the accelerators mm-hmm. anymore. And Apple is putting custom silicon, custom ARM chips in right now. It's basically, I think it's an A10, the T2 chip. Mm-hmm. And that might just get better. Like we'll get an A13 maybe next year. And the, it'll do more stuff that the, that the Intel chip is struggling with. And at some point, maybe you'll have mostly ARM and an Intel coprocessor for when you need a compatibility layer. And the ARM chip will just get more important and more important. The Intel less and less important until it switches completely. So I don't think it has to be as binary as it was with PowerPC mm-hmm. and Intel either. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we talked about kind of this transition from um, to whatever we may see some sort of MacBook, our MacBook next year. But I'm also curious about before we shift over to next year, you know, Apple put out a lot of great stuff this year. And I really feel like yeah. this was the year, obviously, you know, all of a sudden you don't just say, hey, 2019 is going to be the year, but this has been in the works where there was that kind of maybe I would say a two and a half, three year point in time where the Apple community you and I included, we're like, what is going on with you guys, Apple? Like, you're not, you're kind of just biding your time. You're not really quote unquote. They are innovating, but not innovating as much as they had in the past. And things change over time. That's we get that the phone plateaus. But this year, 2019, feels like whatever they have been doing the past few years, they really started listening to what the Apple users wanted for and have been complaining for a while. Whether it's something as basic as Give us more battery life in the iPhone. I thought it was kind of almost a fundamental thing where they changed their perception of, you know, we're, we're not going to keep on saying we have to be thinner. We have to be thinner. Everyone keeps on saying, give us more battery life. The 11 Pro, they make it a little thicker. They make it a little heavier. And the battery life on that thing is amazing compared to previous iPhones, at least from my day-to-day use. We see what happened with the Mac Pro um, desktop. It's coming sometime in December. We see what's happening with the new MacBook Pro and how they listen again. This seems to be like a shift in Apple almost not only listening, but allowing their loyalists to feel good again about, hey, Apple cares about this and they're making great products. 2019 was kind of a shift for me. Yeah, I think there's like two big things that are happening. One is that uh, there are things that they've been doing under the hood for a couple of years that are paying off big time now. And those are the kind of innovations we don't talk about. Like, for example, last year, one of the big things for me was they made a custom storage controller. So while the Pixel 3, phenomenal camera, it would fail to save 
frames and uh, it would fail to save shots and frames to the disc. And then like, that's not even a camera at that point mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where Apple was just like rock solid recording and recording. And you can build, you can build on that pipeline until you get to the iPhone camera. And at the same time, their sort of, um, their thinking is that it's not so much thinness, but lightness that if we make heavy things, you know, people will say they want more battery, but they don't want a thinner, uh, a heavier phone mm-hmm. because then they can't hold it up in game for hours. They can't watch video for hours. It, they don't, and they think that that's a bad quality. And the, the problem that Apple has is that they tend to think that they know better. Mm-hmm. Not, not in order like an evil Machiavellian sense, but it's sort of like you asked us for multitasking. You don't understand that's going to shred your battery life. So we're going to give you an API that lets you listen to Pandora while you surf Safari, because that's what you're really telling us. <laughs> and then when they get that wrong, it takes them a while to realize it because they're just like, oh, like you, this force touch trackpad, it's better. I know you're complaining about it now, but you know, it really is better than an old hinge mechanism. And a couple of years later, people are like, yeah, it is. But then with the keyboard, they're like, you're going to like it better. Oh, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's, it always have that sort of delay in, under, in understanding the market. But they do sort of catch on. And then the, the pro name gives them an excuse. It's like, yeah, it's a heavier phone, but it's for pros. You know, and pros know what they're getting into. If you don't care about that stuff, just get the iPhone 11. You know, you know it's got great battery life, but it's not really that, it's not that thick, it's not that heavy, big screen, you know, all that stuff. But if you're a pro, you're going to need the extra battery life. So yeah, it's heavier, but yada, yada. And I think those are the sort of two, the two things that caught up to them was things that they'd been building out for several years were finally ready to put into place. And they began to find ways to sort of um, appeal to the mainstream and get all those mainstream sales that have really skyrocketed them into profitability, but to also appease the people who felt really sort of left behind, if not betrayed by them going all in on the mainstream and not not taking care of the traditional Apple audience. Yeah, I, I love how, you know, you even mockingly extended the word pro because there really is no definition to what the word pro means other than in Apple's mind, it's their best model of this thing. But now pro on an iPad means different than pro on an iPhone than pro on a Mac. It's just, their, it's just their, Hey, this is our, our idea of what is the best one. We're going to call that pro. Well, I, there's this thing where like anyone who lives just a little bit North of you is a northerner. It's like upstate New York is whatever is next. When you drive North, doesn't matter how far North <laughs> you are. You're not upstate. The next person is. And I think with pros, it's like my workflow or or tougher is pro anyone doing less than me definitely not a pro but because there's so many like technology is so available now like final cut pro logic pro the hardware is so good now we have all these people doing like entrepreneurial stuff or side hustles that in their mind like they're self-identifying as pros and they don't have the same requirements as someone who works at pixar Mm -hmm. or at a a studio record situation or doing maya rendering you know that they they just don't but they they want pro stuff and they're a way bigger uh, marketplace for it. So I think Apple really went all in on these more mainstream pros, but they did it at the expense of the traditional pros. Mm-hmm. They made smaller, lighter, cheaper versions, but not bigger, stronger, heavier versions. And I think that's the big self-correction we've seen over the last two years is they're introducing like the Mac Pro, the 64 gigabyte, eight terabyte version of the MacBook. <laughs> they're giving us back those higher end pro stuff. And that's what it makes both markets happy. Yeah. And you know, I, I what I like about that is finally Yes, they're they're distinguishing those two different markets, but I think always it was, and it's not for me to judge how anyone uses their money, but you know they're sitting on this pile of cash and billions of dollars, and even if that pro market, those desktops 
and they lost some of that group and hopefully they'll come yeah. back with with the new power but they weren't serving the people that were kind of really from the start and the DNA of the company the evangelist that said hey look at all this creative stuff i can do you may not be a pro but now you can do some of it and all of a sudden apple kind of like you said they they started narrowing it down to the mainstream of the general user that does pro things but now they've almost come back to this okay at least from these macbook pros and mac pros we're starting to see a clear delineation of you probably don't need this much power, but we're going to make it accessible to you. And we're also going to flex our muscle a little bit. And that's yeah. that's what kind of brings me back to the to the old days of how it how it kind of was. Their product category was very distinct. And I and I like that. I like how there's a Mac Pro that is way too powerful for me, but I know that it's definitely for that pro. Yeah, it's like you like those companies, like the car companies, they make those Lamborghinis and they make those Ferraris. And sure, they own, you know, the subdivisions that make cars for everybody. But you still want that sort of aspirational thing. The 2016 MacBook Pro, again, like keyboard failures aside, was a perfect MacBook Pro for me because I have to do all that Final Cut stuff, but I often have to do it on the road. And I used to have a 17-inch MacBook Pro, and I got real tired of mm. carrying that thing in my mm -hmm. backpack. So this was great. A lot of like enough power and enough portability. But for the people who needed more stuff, who wanted to use it as a de facto desktop, they hated it. Like they hated its breathing guts. And now we, we sort of are both happy. And that's the best of both worlds. Yeah, absolutely. All right, being happy. Um, Renee, what was your maybe your favorite Apple device for this year for 2019? Was there one for you personally that stood out the most? You know, I, I, I'm not quite sure yet because this MacBook Pro, I'm still testing out. It might end up being mm, this. But mm. up until now, I just think the iPhone, and it's such a cliche, but the iPhone 11 Pro is just such a well-rounded device. Like the ability to use that camera, I, I use it almost all exclusively for B-roll now because the HDR is so good that I don't get the depth of field I get with a traditional camera, but I can get exposure that I just can't get on, on any other, literally any other camera. And it fits in my pocket. And it, it's those sorts of things that, uh, you know, for video, I don't think anyone else is doing it as well. I think they're just as good at still photos. And they're still, I think, faster than most cameras and just pull it from your pocket, grab that cute picture of the kid or puppy or whatever it is, <laughs> and then go on. Like speed to memory is still incredibly fast for them. And I think they hit as much as they've they've had a few misses over the years, like last year's smart HDR messed up like they did weird things with faces. Yeah. This year they fixed a lot of that stuff and it's just such a solid, solid phone. I think the eleven Pro for me, it it actually surprised me a lot because, you know, I don't we talk about all the rumors and what may or may not be coming and you never know until you never know. And so you can either follow them and get an idea of what it has, but until you real world use the thing, the 11 pro is absolutely impressive from even the tool that you're talking about using it for shooting video. Um, yeah. You know, we shot a music video with it and we just literally, we didn't even use filmic pro. We decided to go out to this desert and shoot one yeah. of my like little parody videos set it just to 24 frames per second in the default settings where now they're available on the camera through the software. But yeah. as as raw as possible, right? Nothing extra, just a little DJI hand, hand stabilizer where you don't even really need to if you can guide it pretty well. And it is damn impressive what this phone can do as a creative tool. It's amazing. And so I don't know. It's hard for me. I'm, I'm really juggling right now. I haven't had the... The MacBook Pro is like my baby because that thing is what I use every day. But I'm I'm kind of weighing between the iPhone 11 Pro and the Apple Watch because the Apple Watch is still such a yeah. exciting space and still has not only is it really 
defined itself and almost perfected itself, but it still has a, a ways to go. You can just see how that's going to evolve even more. And those again, I mean, we're talking about multiple products now that are just knocking it out of the park. And I would have maybe not expected the 11 Pro to be that, but it absolutely has. And when you just say, oh, it's camera and it's battery life. But what are the two probably the biggest things that we care about with our phones today? Camera and battery life. And they absolutely hit it out of the park. Yeah, I mean, I, I like from battery tests, I always use Pokemon Go, and I know people laugh at that. But it just, <laughs> awesome. it, it, it's awesome. It's, it's always GPS, always screen, always data. It just, it hits that phone so hard. And I took the Pixel 4 and the iPhone uh, 11 out for the last event, and the Pixel 4 died on me after three and a half hours, and the iPhone 11 went five hours, 15 minutes. Yeah. I literally couldn't finish the event. And you know, to me, those are real world tests because if I take like my godson out with me because he loves playing and the phone, like I have to carry these batteries, like it just, it's not as fun. And, or if I'm on all, sorry, if I'm out all day shooting and I'm just churning through 4k footage, all those kinds of things are like real world examples when you're using that, the stuff from play to work that you just, you have to deliver on. And they really, really delivered on that. And I think you're absolutely right about the watch too. When you look at the field, like they're just they're from custom silicon all the way through to the sort of like the user interface amenities they're doing this mm -hmm. year just felt so solid. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, Renee, the other thing we kind of talked about it and um, touched upon it earlier. I'm curious from you, from your perspective, because you've really seen, you've seen Apple from really, I, I feel like from when you've been covering it, maybe pre jobs or right when jobs came back, the evolution of Apple to Tim Cook now. And I know this is a big overarching question, but from your perspective, how, and you can talk about as long as you want to, but how have you seen or maybe described the evolution of Apple from your perspective and, and how they've changed um, good ways, bad ways, but how they've kind of evolved really from those days till now? Yeah, so I think like the, the biggest change is scale because from Jobs' return and you start seeing it with the iPod, you really see it with the iPhone. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of see a, a rapid acceleration with the iPad is just scale. They went from a beloved niche computing company to a, uh, an electronic powerhouse that just touched almost you know everyone in the world, just billions and billions of devices, a market way beyond the Mac. And I think Tim Cook deserves enormous credit for managing Apple through that scale. It has been incredibly painful at times. I think this year with like iOS 13, and Catalina, mm -hmm. it sort of shows that they're not completely in control of that pain yet. Like iOS 12 was so solid and iOS 13 is like, no, no, you had it right. You got it all wrong, <laughs> all over again. Stop, go back, do that again. So like there, there are ups and downs and, you know, we'll still see what they're, what they're doing next with AR and automotive, uh, not automotive, automation and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. But I mean, most companies are like one hit or two hit wonders. Yeah. And Apple has managed to survive, you know, a long time, 30, 40 years as a company, maybe more now. I'm losing track of made in the 70s, like how, how long they've actually been around. But to be able to produce products like this, like the Mac and the iPod and the iPad and the iPhone and subsequent versions of them and just keep churning out software and hardware every year. I think that team deserves a huge amount of credit. And I think Jobs deserves a huge amount of credit for putting Tim Cook in charge because very few people, I think, could have managed that kind of growth, but also building that team where, you know, some of the players leave and some players come and some players leave and come back. But all in all, that team is just so good at keeping a singular vision on the product. Once in a while, it becomes tunnel vision and they miss some of the obvious stuff in the periphery. 
But that focus, I think, more often than not really helps them to deliver in a way that no other no other company has been able to do over the span of decades. Yeah, it, it is it is amazing. And I feel like we're we're just about you know, with twenty twenty coming up and the potential Apple glasses and the potential of, you know, whatever happens with that next generation of the iPhone, which should be big and the next Apple Watch. Twenty twenty feels like, especially with this momentum that they've been able to carry through to the end of 2019. 2020 feels like it's going to be a big, big year for any Apple fan or even techno- technology fan, but specifically Apple with all that they could be bringing. It's kind of like 2020 is that next big year where we're going to start seeing another kind of jump or leap from them. Yeah, and I'm really, I mean, in terms of phones, they've got really good competition. Like Samsung mm-hmm. is really up their game and Huawei's really up their game. And there's there's other really good manufacturers out there. I'm hoping that Qualcomm gets their watch silicon in order, you know, because Google, it just feels yeah. like they're being held back by bad processors. But I'd love to see more competition there. And I think that if all of those things fall in place, we're in sort of a golden age. Like, yeah, people are going to look back in 20 years and say, oh, you don't even have bionics. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I think like in terms of just our life experience, we're entering this golden age where technology is finally delivering the sort of sci-fi stuff we had as kids. Oh, yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, seeing, seeing this, this is the thing that I always look at, right? You have a, you talked about your godson. I have yeah. nieces and nephews. And when I see also the t- A, the technology that's available for them for better or for worse. Yeah. But if I was a kid... And I had a piece of glass that was a multimedia interactive touch device. That's hard to beat. Like, yeah. to, and to know that from birth, you know, I remember seeing some of my nephews at age two already being able to navigate an iPad and elite and clearly understand, oh, swipe here, here, tap this. Oh, I'm going to go to YouTube because I know that videos play on here. And there's videos that are left over that show up in the recommendations column. So I'm just going to click and just keep on clicking. And they they know this stuff flawlessly. And that, it's like, wow, their brains are fundamentally wired or trained differently than ours were because when of all this great technology. Was like, when my godkids were like, uh, what would they have been? They would have been two and five or something. Uh, back before like Alexa was even a thing, they were using <laughs> Siri to send and receive iMessages. They couldn't read or write, but they could press that button talk and then the other on the other side it would just tell them what the message was and they would reply back and it was amazing to see yeah it's 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 crazy okay here um so renee i also wanted to touch upon this you've obviously covered a lot of great apple stuff but i did not know this that how closely tied you were to basically like martial arts you alluded to judo but you actually have some written works about like wing chun (laughs) like please like tell me about this this is like i had no idea i had no idea uh, I mean, that's funny because that was a lot of, so when I was a kid, I was doing karate and it's like, it's literally a, um, a dumb, almost like Hollywood-esque story. A friend of mine and I <laughs> were doing karate and this, this little old man came up and he goes, ah, oh, that stuff's no good. Here, try to hit me. And he goes, see, from here, I can hit you and you can't hit me anymore. And he's like, uh, and he's like, my kids don't want to learn, but I'll train you if you want to. And he what? was like, I don't know, 60 years old and he had just gotten off, he had just arrived from Guangzhou, China. And he'd trained most of his life to teach his kids and they had no interest in learning. So he was like opportunistically found mm, some people. Mm. And my friends and I trained with him for about 10 years. And wow. One of my friends wanted to change. So she found a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. And that was just when the UFC was taking off. And you saw like little skinny Hoist Gracie yes. choking out everybody in the octagon. We were like, yeah, hell yeah. And then we did that for about 10 years. And my injuries have piled up, so I don't do it very much anymore. But a friend of mine 
uh, is a black belt and he teaches at the Gracie Baja school just down the street from me. So were you, were you at a karate like training facility or you were taking classes and this little man just came up to you and was like, all right, all right, little grasshopper. <laughs> grasshopper <laughs> yeah, no, I think we were actually outside uh, the first time we saw him and we were just playing around in the yard and he was, wa- he was out for a walk. <laughs> this is, and you, you published several written works because of that, correct? Yeah, because he was he he came from uh, mainland China was largely closed at the time, and people uh-huh. knew all about the different Hong Kong versions, but they didn't know about what was happening in mainland China. And he was just so such a cool guy. Like I had to grab a Chinese English dictionary, and he would write down stuff. Wow. And I had to figure out how what it would mean in English. I was forced to learn just very basic Chinese um, roots and 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 phonemes. And he would just say things like, "What are you doing? Why are you stopping?" When when we were working out, we would we would wring out our clothes, put them back on and keep going. We had no windows. Why are you? St- like it was just, it was so fun. Uh, just an experience to do. Oh man, that is great. So do you have um, still en- any sentimental reasons to revisit? Cause are, were your books both um, like a guide, like a nonfiction and fiction, or was it a specific genre that you played in when you wrote, wrote those books? The first was just an overview of the many different kinds of Wing Chun that were out there because people weren't familiar with the ones except from Bruce Lee in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. The second one was uh, instructional on the on the, can- the uh, Guangzhou, the Canton City version. And the third one was just like a, a martial hero story. Those are very famous in China, yeah. the Wuxia stories, um, but sort of written based on all the historical research that I'd done. Dude, honestly, this is crazy. Like, obviously, <laughs> obviously, you have major street cred, Renee. You have major street cred. This is so cool. So, you know, I wanted to say thanks again for coming out to the show and love your oh, knowledge you. and just continue to do all the great stuff that you do out there. And I know that, hey, you know what? Maybe one day Apple lets me into their house and I'll see you at an Apple event. <laughs> oh, I, I would love that. Man. That would be fantastic. I am crossing my fingers. Are you going to be going to CES at all? Yeah, I usually go. Like every year, it's sort of up in the air because it depends. Uh, we have Android Central and Windows Central, which do all the Microsoft and Google stuff. And I never know if there's enough like HomeKit stuff or HealthKit stuff to go. But I try to get there every year. I've been there, I think, eight out of the last 10 years. Nice, nice. All right. Well, maybe maybe we might run into each other there then. That, that'd oh, be that'd super be great. cool. Um, so, Renee, one more time, just for people that are listening, um, if you could kind of tell them immediately where they can find your work again, because I always just like to make sure that, you know, Thank you so much for your time. But also they, they know like where they can find your amazing stuff. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm at Renee Ritchie on all the social networks. Um, my words are at imore.com slash vector. And my motion, my moving pictures are at <laughs> youtube.com slash vector. Very cool. All right, Renee. Well, thanks again so much. Uh, I'd love to have you again down the road. But uh, th- Oh, anytime. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Cool. All right. There you go. First time ever on the show, Renee Ritchie. That was just awesome. And you know what's also awesome? We got to say thank you so much to the supporters of this show, especially our Patreon Platinum Level Apples at the $100 tier, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frater, Jarrett Lewis, and Calvin Fatikar. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you know what? I talk about this at the end of the show, but if you can't support it financially, I would love for you to give us that five-star juicy review. Also, put in a little comment on your review as well. It just helps bump this show up in the algorithm. I mean, we are absolutely crushing it. No other Apple podcast has five-star reviews, as many as ours, and literally we average a five-star review. Y'all are crazy, but thank you so much, and I'll keep on continuing to bring it, and you're allowing me to do that. And again, 
Thanks to Renee for being a part of this show. Also, remember, call in applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z. I'll have more shows coming up through the holidays. We won't leave you hanging. So thanks again for hanging out with us. Really appreciate your time. And hopefully you enjoyed that. It's the Apple Bits XL, baby. Take care, everybody. Peace. Peace.